I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hello, everybody. My name is Shil Anikola Bukuti, and you are locked in Rebel Radio. Keep it 100. Africa. Fuck you, Josh. I mean, really, fuck you. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. Today, we got a real rebel for you, all the way from Lagos, Nigeria, Sean Kuti, uh, son of the late Fela Kuti. Sean is an icon of African music around the world. He's the leader of the Egypt 80 band, which he um, is continuing his father's legacy and as well as creating his own. Um, we get into deep conversation about politics and music and the connection between the two and uh, global corruption and, and all kind of fun stuff. Um, we might challenge some of you on this one. I'm, I'm excited to hear what you think. Let's get into it right now with Sean Kuti. What's up, man? It's great to meet you. Uh, I appreciate you making time. I know it's late out there and... Uh, I understand you're just getting home from a long tour. Yeah, I've been home just a couple of days. How was uh how was the tour? Oh, it was fine. But yeah. quite long. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to to hear what you're up to next and talk about uh this new project. Um I usually like to kind of start at the beginning, uh, but obviously you have a very unique story. So if you don't mind, uh, indulge me a couple questions. Um, I, I usually, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I usually start by asking, uh, do you remember the first record that you ever bought for yourself? Uh, that's simple. The best, the first record I bought for myself was, uh, DMX's is dark and hell is hot. 
Oh, nice. That was like the first record I bought with my own money. I love that record. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's that's a great great part, uh, great place to start a musical journey. Um, oh, well, my musical sure. journey didn't start with my first record, you know? Yeah, of course. Of course. My house was a musical house, so I've already, I was even getting musically trained. You know, mm-hmm. but I couldn't go out and buy Mozart CDs in Lagos and stuff. <laughs> of course. Um, well, yeah, so, you know, it's really interesting. Most of the artists that I talk to um, have, I guess you would say, the luxury of starting out, uh, you know, figuring out who they are in uh, before they're famous, right, in, in obscurity. Um and your path was obviously very different because I know you started, you know, you joined your father's band at nine, right? Yeah. I've been working for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you remember your first time on stage? How that felt? Yeah, I do. I did. I remember my first show quite all yeah. right. Where was it? It was at the Shrine in Lagos. Okay. Yeah, it was a Friday night. And I remember it because uh, after the show, my, okay, I'll give you a bit of background. So during the rehearsals, I was just there doing my thing, dancing, jumping. Mm. But I was missing the cues. I wasn't getting the song right. So my dad came up and said, you know, you have to watch the band so you can learn your cues. So I watched the band because of during the rehearsals to learn the cues. So when it was showtime, I did the same thing. I just mm. faced the band throughout. So my dad came to me after the show and said, you got to face the audience, man. Something like that. <laughs> so I, I nice. remember that show. Sure. That's amazing. Um, and so then, then uh, as I understand, you, you end up taking over the band at 14, which obviously quite young. Um, well, I didn't. I didn't take over. That sounds like a coup d'état or something. <laughs> As I said, I was already in the band, so we just kept playing. You know, there okay. was no, no like takeover or anything. We just sure. lost fellas, so the dynamic changed. Yeah. Well, the band just decided to keep playing. You know, and I was already in the band, so I didn't come and take over anything. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I get it. Um, so, was there? Was there a point that uh, you sort of developed uh, your vision for where you wanted to take the band later on? Or, well, or how, never, how has that evolved? It has never been personal for me, my relationship with the band or how we moved forward. You know, I've always let the art and the music be the guide. You know, mm-hmm. the music takes the lead and wherever it takes us to, we follow. I generally, honestly, I know this is hard to say, but I've never really had any personal ambitions about the Egypt 80, you know? Okay. It has always been a collective mission for me. Sure. And it's, I guess, where I'm lucky to be comfortable with it is that the collective mission also uh, aligns with my own um, life goal and my life life's dream and mission. So it's a... Uh, 
it's a good place. It's a positive place for me to be. You know, in that how sense. do you um, how would you define the your life goal and mission? Ah, to use all my skills and talents for the just aspirations of African people all over the world, and also for our national for the development of my nation. You know, yeah. this is my ultimate goal. Love this is why I do what I do. Sure. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think. Uh, tell tell me tell me about how music and the politics sort of work together for you oh well you know, everything is everything is political you know i don't think there's anything in this world that lies outside of politics mm -hmm. you know i mean politics even determines who you can fuck mm -hmm. you know sure so i i really believe that uh people that say that they're not political with their arts are the most political, you know, because <laughs> saying I'm not political is a very big political statement. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> you understand? Even saying that I am not political is political. Yeah. You know, so uh, many of the status quo artists, you know, that tend to say, oh, no, they are the real politicians, you know, because they are selling the status quo, <laughs> you know. The sure. They are selling the narrative. Or the, what they don't want to say is politics by saying that they're not political, you know. So I don't really think it's just music generally. You know, to be honest, I think all human endeavors should uh, be politicized, and mm. people within be politicized as well, you know. So we no longer just we are no longer living in this this um, vicious circle where we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again because people continue to have the luxury of putting their head in the sand by sure. the, you know. So, the point I'm trying to make really though is even if all the musicians in the world today decide to be political and make political music and try to change the world, if the engineers of the world are not willing to engineer a new world, then nothing will change. Mm -hmm. If the lawyers in the world are not willing to uh, fight for a world where justice, you know, is paramount. There's nothing we can do neither. There's nothing the music can change. If the bankers do not operate for the well-being of the majority instead of the profit of a few, you know, all other industries are responsible for the advancement of humanity, not just art. And I think for some reason, musicians are just left carrying the ball every time. Oh, why mm -hmm. are you not trying to change the world with your music? That, but then we, but then you leave the bankers and all these other people to go about destroying the world, you know, <laughs> as, as they see fit. You know, Absolutely. doing pressures on musicians like what we should be asking, okay, how can banking change the world? We should be asking these people these questions too, you sure. know. Uh, but for me, you know, definitely music can inspire the world to want to be different, yeah. you know. But people must want a different world, you know, or else they will not key into the inspiration. It will not sound like uh, it makes sense to them. They might even go as far as saying that you are crazy. Hmm. And then start calling crazy people normal, you know. Sure. I think we see a lot of that. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like what you're saying. I, I think, you know, as somebody that grew up, uh, you know, with hip hop and, and with the sort of cultural change that, that came with that, you know, I've always thought of 
you know, music has the, the ability to open people's eyes because people, you know, young people especially care what a musician has to say or will listen to the lyrics. They're not necessarily paying attention to what a banker's saying. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's, what that's not to excuse, that's not to uh, reduce the responsibility. But I, I guess what I'm saying is I've always thought of music as the, as a vehicle for bringing attention to these issues that, that maybe we need to learn about or, or, or prioritize. Yeah, so it's journalism, you know. Um, sure. I think it is, more, it is more the job of the media to tell the people the truth than it is the job of the artist. Fair enough. And guess who's dropping the ball there? The journalists. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, as I said before, the musicians can only do so much. You know, in a world where journalists don't want a better world, bankers don't want a better world, everybody is aligning themselves with the status quo. You yeah. know, everybody's aligning themselves with their next paycheck. There's only so much positive music can do. Of course. Sometimes I actually do feel like I'm just screaming into the wind, mm. you know. But at the same time, there's also a force within me that re reignites my passion. You know, mm. every time I feel like that way, something inside of me tells me the reason why I need to keep going. You know, because if I'm going to go by the natural reality of the evidence, it seems like humanity is hell-bent on destroying itself. Mm. You know, so sure. especially sure. the elites, you know, because yeah. they have all these bunkers they've built under their houses. You know, they have all these uh, fortified safe spaces. Mm -hmm. So they don't care. They think, well, if they destroy the world's ecosystem and they will hide in their bunker till everything settles down and they'll come out and repopulate the world with their own new, with their same oppressive ideology. Not understanding that, you know, staying in your bunker yourself with your family for 15 years, you all will go crazy or kill yourselves before the, <laughs> before the right. apocalypse is done. You know, sure. you need other people, you know. Yeah. But this is generally the selfishness and the myopic... Uh, sentiment of the elites globally you know mm -hmm. from africa to europe to america to asia they're sure. all the same you know yeah so when when you're feeling um uh, like you said you're screaming into the wind is there something you do to sort of reconnect with with uh you know your your purpose your mission does that just As happen said, automatically there's, or or is there a there's nothing or, or do you I have a practice do. No, no, it happens automatically. You know, I think because I am completely vested in what I, what I'm doing, and I believe also, you know, in the ultimate salvation of humanity. You mm. know, being in the hands of the people themselves. You know, uh, so I think from within me, you know, I can't really explain that, but from within me, I'm able to see a reason to keep going on. Mm -hmm. You know, probably my kid, probably my my family, my wife. You know, I don't know, but sure. as they say, you know, you have to really love something. To if you don't have, uh, let me, if you don't have love in your life, then you have nothing to die for, right? Yeah. So go go back. We started talking about you know when you're younger, sort of starting out. Um, 
was was there a point where you started to feel you know comfortable in that role uh you know where where it's you started to to kind of hit your stride or or was there somebody you tuned to for for guidance back then oh i had i had a lot of um i can't say i did it by myself like you know all these famous sure. people like to lie to the world i came <laughs> up by myself pulled myself up the same elitist narrative you know that they tell everybody pull yeah. yourself up by your bootstraps <laughs> sure anyway yeah, that's bullshit uh, we all have a huge network of support to make it in this world. You need people that support you, even in the in the tiniest ways. Mm-hmm. You know, even those that listen to you when you moan and complain about how your music and career is not where you want it to be, and all of that. All those things are relevant to your well-being, your sanity. You know, to your ability to function properly. The people that care for you. That so, for me, it mm-hmm. has never been a. I, I wouldn't say I've always I've. I wouldn't even say that right now I'm comfortable in my position because okay. I know that there's always something that we could do better. There's always uh, a way to move forward and I'm always trying to find those ways. You know, mm-hmm. So there's no comfort, you know, if you're trying to, there's no comfort in the struggle. Let me put it that way. Mm. Immediately you start feeling comfortable, you know, you should reassess what's going on. You are dropping the ball somewhere. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love that. I think, you know, we're we're in this moment, um, you know, globally, I think there's so much attention on mental health, uh, which in some ways is great and, and needs to be explored and talked about. And I think, but kind of what you're saying, there's also this um, this priority put on comfort and this sort of like... Uh, uh, unspoken or, or maybe spoken idea that that we should all be comfortable at all times. Yeah, but you um, know, uh, what we are looking at here is not even comfort as as ease, because mm. comfort is now also equated with luxury, mm-hmm. which is kept away from the people. Sure. So humanity didn't evolve to work for comfort. Comfort right. has always been here. Yeah, it has always been accessible to all humanity, and when I say comfortable, I'm not even talking about sitting in my house or lying on your sofa watching big screen in your nice. That's not the comfort I'm even talking. What I'm saying is, when you feel comfortable in your mind, like everything is okay, everything mm-hmm. is fine, it means you are detaching yourself from the larger reality of humanity. You are you are removing yourself because everything is nice for you and comfortable. You're like every you know, but you are not everybody. So that's what I'm saying. Like, even at those moments where I think, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I should relax. There's always something within me also that lets me realize and remember, you know, the world still needs work. The world still needs changing, and you are a part of that world. You know, and this is what is, uh, um, how do I put it, uh, dialectically different between people mm. like me and people that run this world, you know. Sure. Is that we we they they detach themselves from the people, they detach themselves from the majority. You know, their existence is their reality. Mm. They, don't, they don't exist within reality. They make their existence their own reality. 
So they are existing within, their reality is within their existence, not the entirety of reality. You know, that's why people can be going around talking while, you know, uh, 80% of the world is living in hunger and people are talking about how the world is progressing. You know, mm -hmm. and there's, no, there's never been a time in human history when this much people were going hungry. Mm. You know, so... And not only that they are going hungry, that they have no means and no capacity to change the situation on their own. You know, sure. this is really sad. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, uh, I think at least in the West, you know, the, the narrative that people like to talk about is that things are getting better, right? Is that that there's progress and, and yes, because Elon Musk is getting richer, you know, so definitely things are getting better. <laughs> Absolutely, the business is getting richer, so definitely things are getting better. Sure. Yeah. You know, nobody cares that you know the solar ice caps are melting and the whole seas of the world are polluted. Yeah. You know, beyond anything that we can imagine, you know. Nobody cares about about the de deforestation of the world, you know. As long as there's profit behind it, it's progress, you know. The disappearance of so many species from the wildlife, you know, the bees collapse, the bee colony collapsing globally. Nobody's mm -hmm. even trying to answer that question: What's killing the bees? You know. So uh, there are more children out of school today. You know, there are. Um, more people that cannot access healthcare, cannot access education. In your country, you know, it's just people piling debt upon debt just to get the basic amenities to survive. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I know it's easy to think we are progressing when you watch the hip-hop videos. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's why they, that's why they love hip-hop. Yeah. They love this mainstream music. It makes them feel good about themselves. Look, look the black people are happy. Look mm. at them. Twerking and drinking champagne. <laughs> this, this world is great. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> sure. I mean, if black people can be having this much fun, we've solved the world. The world is fine. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry to laugh. Um, yeah, no, I, I get it. So what what do you think it's going to take for for us as a culture globally to to sort of wake up and take these issues seriously? I don't know. I think we've missed this global opportunity. We've missed that with the 50s and the 60s. Mm. We missed that with the 70s. And I don't think it's going to come back again because now the elites of the world are talking about globalization also. Yeah. You know, and we have to realize that it was the workers that first went global. Mm -hmm. You know, the labor unions were the first to be global to attach sure. working class people's struggle from all over the world, connecting the struggles and our situation, understanding that we are under the same class conscious war. You understand? And that class yeah. consciousness is what has eroded from the narrative of the working class today. The elites, through their ownership of the media and all institutions of influence, have been able to slowly, gradually, but effectively erode class consciousness from the people. So everybody thinks that they are a millionaire in waiting. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks that they can become the next Jeff Bezos, you know, not knowing that it's impossible. Even the World Bank has said that you stand a higher chance of winning the lottery than dying above the class you are born into. 
Sure. You have a higher chance of winning the lottery than dying above the class you are born into. So that means even they know that this uh, everybody can make it is a myth. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lie. Sure. You know, <laughs> even those that have made it need socialism to continue making it. What the, what is the meaning of PPP loans? What is the meaning of uh, bank bailouts? If that is not socialism for the rich, sure. you know, why is Elon Musk getting 10 billion to go to space? You know, you want to go to space, you can't, you can't go by yourself. You can't afford right. it. You're the richest man in the world. You still need yeah. to go and take 10 billion from the people, you know. But we, there's no 10 billion for education anywhere. There's no right. 10 billion for hospitals anywhere. You understand? So I think that is the mindset in general, you know. And this is, we as the people must stand up again. We must choose, our, we must choose humanity. I think that is what the global people have to do because you have to understand that the elites are global too now. They sure. put aside some petty differences for them to have a stronger grasp. You know, so they are global. Americans own banks in Nigeria. Nigerians own banks in England. Mm. You understand the Saudis own properties in LA and banks in LA and businesses. Americans own businesses in Ukraine, which is why they are fighting for Ukraine right now. You know, they are protecting business interests. Sure. You know, so these elites are completely global as well. They are highly organized. They are planning. So if we, the people, think that one protest on the streets or one uh, of people is going to change this, then we're joking. If we do not organize on that level about our humanity and nature, if we are not organizing on that level and refusing the tokenism, you know, one of the things that I love are that, uh, uh, how would I put it, one of the things that, uh, disappoints me about the working class in Europe and America is how willing they are, how quickly they are willing to sell the other working class people all oh, over yeah. the world down the river as soon as they are promised some in- incentives. Oh, lower sure. gas prices. Oh, minimum wage rise. Oh, free housing, free healthcare. Oh, yeah, go to Iraq, go to Vietnam. You know, yeah. there's no, you know, real backlash against that. Those governments are allowed to continue. These policies are allowed to continue against the global working class. So this global camaraderie itself is being defeated among the working class people while the global camaraderie of the elite is waxing stronger to our own detriment, you know. So I think generally, Europe and American working class needs to put this their racial bias aside and get with the class conscious uh, battle, the struggle, you know, Sure. I feel that the class, the class struggle is the ultimate battle of humanity, where the working class and poor people of this world can come back and and take uh, the power of production, not just political power, but the mm-hmm. power and means of production, so that everything that is from the earth can be for the earth, you know, not just for some individuals. Because mm-hmm. how long are we going to do this? Where well, we are all suffering just so that Jeff Bezos can buy a New York and dismantle bridges in <laughs> Netherlands. You know, I mean, I don't yeah. get it. What? Why are we? Why are they accumulating this wealth? If there was some kind of noble goal behind it, oh, sure. we are accumulating this to build. Other, no, but there's nothing. It's just wanton consumerism and oppression, you know, and mm-hmm. creating scarcity, more and more scarcity for the world. So, I feel that to defeat that, we need to definitely organize ourselves better globally as well, you know, um, and most especially not accept tokenism. 
you know, we must always advocate for real change. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I think even, uh, even locally, we're, uh, people are, are incredibly easy to divide. Right. And, yeah. and even, you know, even, even in the U.S., you mentioned the, the labor unions, you know, there's a big chunk of poor people in the United States that are anti-union, right, because they've been co-opted or, or bought out or, or, you know, they've, they've been sold a story that, uh, yeah. And so I think um, my, you're, you're, uh, there's a hopefulness in, in what you're saying that um that those are are possible and and i think you know i'm curious what um what you see out there that kind of gives you hope uh that that keeps you going on on this mission oh uh, well my my daughter is my number one reason mm. you know yep sure uh definitely since I've, since I've had her, she has made my um, she has made me understand very well the perspective that I'm supposed to. Uh, how would I put it? That I'm supposed to head into rather. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, uh, definitely, you know, we want a better world for those that are coming behind us. Sure. You know. I mean, I think that there's nothing, I don't have any other reason for doing what I do. Except I want to leave this world a better place than I, than I made it. Mm. Love that. Well, let's talk about music a little bit. Um, so I know you have this African Dreams project with Black Thought. Uh, yeah. From Henry Dumas and cautionary tales, witness with my own two eyes. A few guys can serve two guys. The difference is the subtle nuance. How'd that come about? Oh, how'd you, we, we how'd you connect with him? That. Oh, I met him in 2019, just um, mm -hmm. during the Grammys week, you know, when I was in LA. And we kind of hit it off and we've always kept mm -hmm. in touch, you know. And so during the pandemic, um, the producer of the project, um, Molotov, well, I call him Alex because that's his real name. And we were mm -hmm. friends in, in uni. You know, we went to uni together. Okay. Alex and I we were flatmates, you know. So um, he had this, he, he, he was working on with my record, you know. Mm -hmm. He was working on some of my songs and he sent them to me. And coincidentally, I was talking to Black Thoughts when he sent them. So I was like, what do you think of these ideas, man? I've just been fucking around with your last record. And I think mm. we could do a, a cool remix. So he sent me the songs. I was like, listen, this thing, this, this music is hot. Nice. But you know, since it's also kind of like uh, hip hop influenced, let me talk to Black Thought. And if he's down, then we could really, this could be something that we could really work on. And as soon as I sent him the music, he was like, let's do this. You know, but it was during the pandemic, so everything was digital transfers and stuff like that. But yeah, that was how we were able to make make it work. Nice. You know, uh, it was spontaneous. It was uh, something that we did from a place of love for music and things like that. It was not. Uh, it wasn't like a gimmick or planned. Sure. You know, or A yeah. and R influenced. No, this was two artists and a great producer. 
agreeing that they should do something just because of the strength and the beauty of what was presented. You know, so I really yeah. thank Black Thought a lot because he we did all this. He was he was really, really helpful. He gave us guidance, he opened doors, you know, and here we are today about to release the the the, the EP. Nice. What uh is it just the two of you on the EP? Do you have other other oh, well, for this one, yeah, for this one, for this one. But we have another surprise project coming. But I can't give okay. away too much. Stop asking. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll watch for it. Um, so, tell me about you've had a, a lot of great collaborators. I know you've worked with Robert Glasper, with Brian Eno, Carlos Santana, so many great people. What do, what do you look for in in a collaborator, and and sort of what what makes a good collaboration for you? Uh, well, uh, I'm always looking for people that uh, uh, are musically, I think, in a way, uh, how do I put it, that I musically respect. Mm. I think that's the most, I, most, I think I respect your musicianship. That is the criteria. Sure. Because these days, there are more, art, as T, like T-Pain said, there are more artists in the world today than cheers. <laughs> So yeah. and the word the word artist and musician is thrown around so loosely these days, you know that a dog could be called a musician if he howls sure. right, if he howls on the right beat, <laughs> yeah. you know that's a musician right there. That's his heart. <laughs> I mean, if not, you, know, you can just sample it and auto tune it, and it'll be fine. Exactly, you know. <laughs> Some of these artists actually, even with the auto tune, they sound like dogs just howling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that's another story for another day. Sure. So I think, but personally for me, it's just, it's always, I think, always about the, how do I put it, the, the musicianship. Because my music yeah. is, my, 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 my sound is quite, um, how do I put it, musical, you know, mm -hmm. melodies, chords. So for me to really have an artist on there, I want him to be able to bring, uh, you know, some to the sound, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, that's how I choose my collaborators. And even if it's going to be rappers, you know, I want real poets. Mm -hmm. People that are grounded in human ideologies. I don't like consumerism narrative on my records. I don't like, I don't like people, you know, talking about uh, demeaning women or violence. You know, sure. so I, I pick my artists based on ideology as well. So musicianship and ideology matters to me. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, yeah. Love it. What about, I mean, it seems like uh, music coming out of Africa is, is maybe bigger than it's ever been, at least uh, in terms of what's hit in the U.S. Um, yeah. What's your take on, on what's happening in African music? What, what, what excites you and what are you, what are you hoping to see more of? The Egypt 80 band excites me. You know, I, I'm one that minds my business. And I'm not a big <laughs> okay. fan of music as well. You know, I'm a musician, but yeah. I don't really listen to old music a lot. You know, I have mm. to say. You know, I'm not a listener. You know, okay. to, like if you come to my house, you could be in my house a whole day and I don't play a single song. Is that right? You know, except maybe my guests want to listen to something and they go play the player or something. Mm -hmm. You know, but I'm reading. Uh, if I'm not reading, I'm watching some, you know. Okay. Uh, and also it's because I'm always working on songs of my own. 
And when I'm sure. writing a song, I don't want to listen to other people's songs because I don't want any unwanted influence to creep mm-hmm. in. You know, because music can do that. You know, you don't even know you're just recognizing something you heard last week. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, yeah, so... I mean, how could you not? Yeah, so for me, those are the two main things that matters mm. in making music. Nice. Um... When you think about the the future of Egypt eighty, what's what excites you the most? Uh the not knowing part of it. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think you know, just like uh Europeans do with um religion and predicting where we are from and where we are going to, <laughs> oh you were created by God and you're going to heaven or hell when you you know. Sure. Humanity we have to accept some things. Mm-hmm. The future is a mystery. You have to accept that. You, you yeah. know, all these, oh, I'm going to plan, I'm planning for my future. I'm thinking, listen, the future is a complete mystery. Sure. You know, so I tend not to interfere with mystery, you know, because the mysterious is more powerful than all of us. We mm. should observe and respect it from a distance, not try to control it and dominate it like uh, Western scientism wants to do with everything. And I said scientism, not science, you know. <laughs> Yes, it's true. Yeah. The, polit- the politicization of science as the only means to knowledge, you know, you know, sure. ignoring every other method that have existed before, you know, I don't believe mm. in that because that's scientism, you know, and just the way they tell it, tell, oh, you know, from mystery we have come and to mystery we shall return, you know, and that mm-hmm. for me is a very big, uh, it was a line I read in 2000 seasons, yeah. That's it. Two thousand seasons by um, um, Am- Amra Kway, the okay. Ghanaian author that lives in yeah. So he said that in in the book, and that has always stood out to me, you know. And um, I've let that line influence me as much as I can let it because it's it's the ultimate truth for me. That we are from mystery, and to mystery we shall return. This for me means I do not have to worry myself about those things I cannot control or are beyond me. I must have the humility and the intelligence also to be like, okay, that is beyond me and I respect it that it is beyond mm. me and I will act accordingly. I will not look for any ways or anything to try and be above that that is above me. You know, like even when people try to explain that like, this whole heaven or hell thing is a real insult on humanity and the process of life itself that people want to tell us what we do not know. We have to believe what we do not know. We all know we do not know. <laughs> and I think that there's a beauty in not knowing. Yeah. You know, but science doesn't allow that. Science says you must know everything, you know. <laughs> and look at where that has gotten us. Sure. You know? An ecosystem collapsing on itself, even though humanity has all the wealth and the resources and the technological know-how to prevent that. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's there's something uh, in maybe in human nature that makes us so uncomfortable not knowing. No, it, it's it's not human nature. I think it is the nature of the capitalist elites that have come to conquer the world. Mm. You know, we have to realize that a few men and this greedy ideology who are able to amass some armies to impose their beliefs on us. We don't be. I always tell people like you, you think. You, you accept these things mm-hmm. to the point of belief. 
but mm. you do not really believe in them. And I know you don't believe in them because I know you will not give your life up for them. Hmm. You know? Sure. So we just accept these things because of the promise of being able to access the luxury that they control. Because that is really the, the gun that is put on everybody's head. The luxury mm -hmm. that they control. Mm -hmm. And their ability to, de to deny people access to it. Even though it belongs to everybody. You understand? So this yeah. is their main power. This is how they're able to get the musicians to sing along. This is how they're able to get the journalists to write along. This is how they're able to get the doctors to dance along and all these mm. things. Because, you know, they are able to offer them luxury and comfort. You know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's, that, that's just the truth of it. Sure. You know, and this is just because it is, and I don't think we, we, we believe in it. We have to be bought for anybody to function in this system and act accordingly as the elite one. They have to buy you. There's nobody they work for that is working with them from the love of their heart. Like, oh, I love this guy and I believe in his dream and that's why I'm here. No, -uh. mm. everybody's working because they're getting paid. You know, sure. nobody, we don't believe in them and that's the truth. And uh, we're just, I think for some reason, also because we are all used to our logs, our comfort, you know, zone yeah. and our little luxurious cars and our chains and our designer clothes and our uh, jet trips. We don't want to rock the table. We're afraid. You know, mm. so people are afraid of people like me who are like, man, fuck all of that. Let's bring this whole thing down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so but I think at the core of it, you know, and also as it has taken only a few men to create this system that we live under, mm -hmm. I also think that it's going to take only a few men to change it. Mm. You know, so that's, that's what is going to happen. Just the way it took Che Guevara, only 50, he crossed into Cuba with only 58 revolutionaries from Mexico. Mm -hmm. You know, not the whole of the Cuban nation was behind him. Sure. You know, same for the um, French Revolution, same for the uh, Russian Revolution. In fact, Lenin was in exile. He didn't believe the revolution could happen in Russia anymore. He was Is outside right? of Russia when the revolution started. He had to fly and um, go rush back to Russia to start to politicize the mob. Mm. You understand? So I believe that, you know, as I said, you know, the future is a mystery. Who knows what it holds? But in what it holds, hopefully, there are a few men, few women, few children, few people. And even the uh, abstract power of nature must be behind something that would change this world. You understand? Yeah. You know, because something, something's got to give. I love it, man. That's a powerful thought to uh, to wrap up on. Um, My pleasure, man. Being on your show is nice. Well, I have a quick lightning round. Uh, a couple of questions I like to to wrap up on. Um, all right. Uh, I know you've been all over the world. What's your favorite city to travel to? Ooh, traveling back home. <laughs> yeah, I think I the hiking trip be back home. I'm nice. telling you. Who's your favorite DJ? Oh, well, I have to say DJ Molotov. Remember, I have to say DJ Molotov. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, fair enough. What uh, I know you mentioned uh, that book uh, just a moment ago. What, what's the last great book you've read? Oh, I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading. A, uh, I just finished reading a really amazing book. And it's called White Malice. Oh, I wish I could show okay. you the video. By Stan Williams. Okay. And it's the CIA and the covert recolonization of Africa. Mm. Incredible book. Incredible yeah. book. I thought I knew, I thought I knew how the 
how the CIA worked, you know. I thought I knew wow. what this world was about. You know, sure. you think you know sure. until you realize yeah. you don't know. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, man. It, I'm going to check that tough. out. Um, what movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Oh, wow. Uh, easy. Godfather. <laughs> That's great. Part two, which is my favorite yeah. one. For sure. The best. Absolutely. It's, a, it's, an, it's an amazing film. I, I really Ooh. do love it. Yeah, absolutely. Who who's someone you've never met but you've learned a lot from? Noam Chomsky, David mm. Attenborough. Yeah, brilliant, both of them. Yeah. Um, and last and question. I was close to meeting um, Noam Chomsky, but then the pandemic happened, and we don't reschedule the meeting in Boston. Mm. So, but I'll try again when I'm going to when I know I'm going to Boston again, I'll try and hit him up. I nice. hope he still remembers. Me. <laughs> I'm sure he will. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, last question: If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Man, I hate this shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, that's a that's an understandable emotion. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, people that work for me kind of say that I'm, I'm a good boss. You know, okay. but I'm tough. But I'm yeah. tough because you know we got to be perfect all the time. Ain't no half sure. half stepping. Mm. You know, I love it. I love it. Well, man, thank you for making time for this conversation. I've enjoyed all of it. Uh, really appreciate it, and and I'm definitely watching for um, for the next project and and everything beyond. Thank you, bro. That was Sean Kuti on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you check out the African Dreams Project. I think you're going to love it. Uh, leave us comments on this one. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And most importantly, next week, come back for more Rebel Radio. Peace.